And welcome back, everybody, to the freaking awesome podcast. And this is episode 43. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> let's kill that bass head. Let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP.
Welcome everybody to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bose, and uh, virtually across from me is our returning co-host, Maddie G. Hello, hello. How you doing today, bud? Oh, not too bad. Excellent. Same in this crazy world we live in. Right? You, you getting, uh, you've built a bunker in your backyard yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there digging holes with the dogs now. Yeah, well, you got to put them to work, you know, they got to keep their keep around the house, so, or make the keep, <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, today we have a wonderful guest. He is a writer, actor, producer. He's been um, kind of a working hand in uh, such things as Murder, She Wrote, Simon is Simon, uh, the new WKRP in Cincinnati, which is quite exciting because I love the originals, and uh, a fantastic TV series that you may or not remember, Sliders, with uh, Jerry O'Connell. We've got Steve Stolier. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Awesome, now. Awesome. One of the things I, I left off your little uh, bio and resume there, we're going to get to with our guests in a second because it's quite exciting. But before we get in there, Maddie, why don't you lead us up with today's news? Absolutely. So here's one that you're going to particularly like, I think, Tony. So uh, this is over in London. So Pub on Wheels pulls pine, puts pints on people's doorsteps in London. All so right. uh, Yeah, Tony being a beer connoisseur, I think he'll like this one. So... In uh, London, England, um, the pubs may be shut down, but one East London brewer has found a novel way to keep the beer flowing uh, by packing his kegs into a van and pulling pints onto people's doorsteps. So driving a white van with the slogan Tactical Beer Response Unit on the side, Peter Brown, (laughs) the director of Forest Road Brewing Company, spends his day fulfilling delivery orders. But rather than delivering boxes uh, or cans or bottles, he actually fills pint glasses for his customers out of the taps on his van. Um, it doesn't fit as much beer as our bar would uh, on a normal Friday or Saturday, but what we do is we get pure joy from our customers' faces when they see a cold glass of beer for the first time in, in six weeks. Um, so Britain's pubs have been closed for close to two months. Uh, government first advised people to avoid them, then demanded that they actually close on March 23rd uh, when they did the countrywide lockdown. So under the restrictions of the lockdown, food and drink suppliers can also um, offer delivery services. Yeah. So that's when these guys had the idea to actually load up their van and uh, basically do a pint delivery service. Yeah. And um, customers are big fans. And <laughs> they're actually there's a poll right now going on where they're trying to get the guy to uh, do this in a Superman costume. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, now I, I think their slogan sh- their slogan should be "Ale for what ails you" because of the virus. <laughs> that they're Wonderful! I that love it. Great. That's great. Yeah. Now I know a lot of the uh, the local craft breweries around here. Uh, they're doing a delivery service as well. Now some of them, of course, a little over the top because you need to order a minimum of like forty eight cans if they're going to deliver to you. So. Now, it's a little bit different in Ontario when we've got such a large distance between uh, either houses or towns or cities uh, versus over in the UK where everything's uh, quite tightly packed, uh, especially in a lot of these villages where um, the, the locals have a tendency to go to on a daily basis. So it's uh, it's actually great. I think it's it's brilliant for the, the pub and keeps them in, in business. Yeah, good good for their ingenuity, right? A hundred percent, yeah. Now, I have a very similar article along this line, uh, except for it's a, a, a tiny bit racier. Um, now, we, we all know about Uber Eats, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Steve, you've probably got something like that down 
down where you are, correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, there is a uh, <laughs> there. There Sounds is like a restaurant that Hitler opened, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. Actually, the Uber. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, Gehring would have used Lyft because he was with the uh, Air Force. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a um, a place that is called the Lucky Devil Lounge, and they have started a company that is called Boober Eats. And and this is basically a local strip club that decided to launch topless food delivery. This is great. <laughs> right? <laughs> so basically, uh, due to the coronavirus, a lot of these women who, who work in the club, uh, you know, are, of course, out of work. And um, so the, the, the Lucky Devil Lounge decided that what they would do is now start delivering meals on heels as part of a brassy new venture. Uh, the the play on the popular Uber Eats service is the the lounge t- takes and makes orders, and then two nearly topless women in pasties will show up at the door to to drop the food off in person. Uh, now you can look this up. There there are our photos. <laughs> um, but the that's uh, gonna be fun in Alaska, right? <laughs> I don't know if this would get uh, if this would get franchised or not, though. <laughs> the 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 the. Uh, the ladies who dropped things off, of course, it said, you know, they're 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 thankful that they're they're still able to to make money. Um, they are, of course, the, the the consumers are encouraged to tip the uh, the, the delivery women. Um, now the, Just deli- the tip, yeah. Well, the delivery fee starts <laughs> at thirty dollars. Oh dear! Right, and then on top of whatever you're buying. Um, but uh, they they are thankful. That, to, to still be making an income, but instead of making hundreds of dollars a night, they're almost just clearing minimum wage. <laughs> so oh, um, now since since then, and, and this, this was only um, within the week that this has been happening, uh, Uber, of course, has, has fired uh, across the bow and says, no, you need to change this name. Uh, so they, they, they no longer call it Boober Eats. Uh, they, they haven't actually posted what the name is, but... Um, they uh, they do maybe they went with Meals on Heels I don't know um, why but, Uber uh, doesn't own Boober well no but they they own Uber Eats and it's apparently a little too close so with the uh, pretending uh, law lawsuits uh, they decided to live just... in a litigious world <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> I mean Kitty honestly delivery sounds wicked I think that you go with with I think Uber should be thankful because you know they would get a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, Uber does this is great. Get get more orders in," and they're paying a thirty dollar delivery fee, and then they realize that they've got the wrong one. <laughs> Good point. Uber Good can point. make out like the devil. <laughs> yeah, wow. so amazing. That was fun. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, um, this one's super racy. I found. Oh, so. Uh... <laughs> Ikea had to issue a statement, so the, the article reads, uh, no masturbation allowed in Ikea. Uh, Ikea reminds <laughs> oh, customers. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, there goes my weekend. Ruin my day. <laughs> uh, buy a desk, sure. Eat a hot dog or some meatballs, cool. Masturbate in the store? Well, Ikea is reminding customers that that's a no-no after an incident in China. Uh, a woman at an unidentified Ikea store was caught on camera um, doing the deed on the merchandise. Not surprisingly, the clip went viral on Chinese social media. The woman who is partially undressed in the video is shown touching herself while sitting on various types of furniture. 
Um, she even <laughs> twerks on the camera at one point, and uh, uh, the customers see her raunchy antics. Uh, Ikea sent out a statement to discourage p- potential copycats. We resolutely oppose and condemn this type of behavior and immediately reported it to the police in the city of the, sus- of the suspected store. Ikea also said it will be increasing security in its stores and asking customers to behave in an orderly, civilized way. Uh, it was unclear which store the video was shot at, and the woman's not wearing a face mask. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the, there's the real catch, right? It's all the fact that they're not wearing the mask. <laughs> I don't see how the fact that she was masturbating meant that she was not behaving in an orderly, civilized way. I don't <laughs> right, see those as right. mutually exclusive. <laughs> Right. No. <laughs> I mean, how many people? Ban cereal next. I, well, I mean, I, I feel like this is like for the amount of people who decide not just to use their room when when they're at home. I mean, maybe this is 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 proper furniture testing. Maybe she's <laughs> like, I don't know if I can use this chair. It's maybe not at the right at the right angle. <laughs> right. Or or maybe this futon just isn't comfortable. So I would be really disappointed. You have to let me try tell it you. Out. It's, it's following the instructions where she got all mixed up. That's right. <laughs> well, IKEA some instructions required. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. IKEA instructions are quite ambiguous. So uh, Walmart should never... immediately follow up though, because I don't want to see anybody that goes to Walmart's masturbate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just imagine the the new cost on signs: no masturbating, please. <laughs> yeah, that'll be. Uh... What if that'll spread up into Ontario? I just, I just love at the end of the 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 article. This woman was also not wearing a mask. <laughs> well, like, think just... of the children, right? <laughs> well, maybe she was wearing the mask, but they weren't looking in the right area. <laughs> uh, oh my! <laughs> oh my! Well, what do you got Tony? One more for the coronavirus. Um, yeah, of course, that that is what all news is about nowadays, and um, always good for a laugh. Yeah, for sure. Well, this one's quite neat. Um, so, okay. a, a restaurant in um, in Ocean City, uh, Maryland, basically had, had decided that they need to uh, bounce back from this uh, this this problem, and, and that's hurt their business. And uh, they have come up with an, a brilliant idea where they're debuting bumper tables. And uh, it's, this is quite of an interesting device where they seem to have almost like a large walker device with a tractor tire inner tube around it. And then in the middle is where the customer stands with a table like surface around them so that they get served. And at the same time, the, the distance between themselves and the outer part of the tube looks like about three, three and a half feet. So when the two tubes come together, it, it creates the six feet rule. Um, now <laughs> this, this is kind of, kind of, that a doesn't really... sound cumbersome or unwieldy. <laughs> well, I think it also limits the amount of people that that can be out here. Now it is an outdoor, um, kind of a, a restaurant, uh, that's like a, like a fish and ale restaurant. Um, however, yeah. it's actually got a quite a good buzz and uh, a lot of other restaurants who've seen this are now connecting with them to find out like where they had ordered these or how could they have these made for their restaurant. And the funniest thing I think about all this is there is no seating apparatus. So you have to stand through mm-hmm. your whole meal and drink. And, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, it's on wheels. So you could just kind of walk around while you're there. But um... Red Lobster should just clear the middle of the lobster tanks. Right? <laughs> you just stand in the middle. <laughs> you're willing to cross the, the worst lobster. The part is that they have, a, they have a dress code. Yeah. That's the part that. 
that myths me that you have to wear a tie while you're standing in your inner tube. And right. I think that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's true. The um, I, I don't know if you've got another one, Maddie, but I had to bring up another one really, really quick. And uh, this was from uh, Nassau County in, in New York. Now, they had announced today that uh, tennis courts are open. And uh, for our listeners, I put a, cl- a clip up on uh, our, our website or on our Facebook page where the the spokesperson for the city who is is talking about the tennis courts saying, now there are strict rules in play. You cannot pick up someone else's balls. Yeah, you can't touch them at all. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch their balls. And the moment she says it, this realization on her face, and then she's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to blush. But then she continues to go through her speech, which just progressively gets worse and worse. <laughs> which truly led you to believe that maybe she should have proofread this speech before she got out there, or the, the danger of yeah. talking about a sport with a lot of balls. So... <laughs> That's great. And it gets to a point where the security officers on either side of her are actually laughing so hard they start walking off camera. <laughs> but uh, if, it, if it's it... true that often some of the best bloopers aren't misreading things, it's miswording things. Exactly. Because I know years ago, years ago, there was a commercial and the announcer said, kids, tell your parents to get you a genuine Davy Crockett bunk bed with scenes of Davy in action on the mattress. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Same kind of thing. It's nothing technically wrong, but it didn't come out the way you meant it to. Yeah. (laughs) Phrasing. (laughs) Well, um, it's really funny. So uh, I encourage our our listeners to go over to our Facebook page and check that out. It's, It's really funny. Uh, so let's turn things over to you, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Last I checked, I haven't uh, ha- been swabbed today, but uh, <laughs> for for all intents and purposes, or all intensive purposes, as Claude Pate say, like people who mispronounce methamphetamine and that sort of. Thing. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch. Uh, I seem. <laughs> I appear to be fine. <laughs> That's a short answer to your question. How would they do a swab with social distancing? Like a really long Q-tip they just shoved through the mail slot. <laughs> They it's just tell you the, to bend uh, over. And... <laughs> it's, it's the haircuts where you have to social distance that puzzled me. How they have six foot long scissors and uh, yeah. I don't know straight edge razors from six feet apart. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound dangerous. Yeah, I've been, I've been super no. lucky that my wife has just been cutting my hair. So uh, and it's it's turned out uh, uh, quite quite. I have actually decided that I don't know if I need to go to the hairdresser anymore. <laughs> I have to just get my wife to do it. Wow. Yeah. It's it's really good. It was a, a very surprising, um, uh, you know, task that she pulled off uh, quite well. So I've been really happy, and it's great when when you're on a podcast or radio. Uh, no, you, you know, nobody's going to follow up and check with you. So, um, right, you could be naked or uh, at an IKEA. It's true. <laughs> what is this could be i'm naked right now matt's always naked in fact it's it's one of those things that i got to keep forcing to put clothes on <laughs> so um we we went through uh, of course a, a little bit of your bio as i mentioned earlier but uh, one thing that i i kept out and uh, intentionally was uh, the amount of work you did uh, with groucho marx it's true the rumors are true i am old enough to have known and worked for Groucho Marx because I was 19 when I got the job and I worked for him in his home the last three years of his life 
uh, as his personal secretary and archivist, handling all of the memorabilia he'd accumulated in all those years in show business. That is absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, there is, of course, our listeners are a wonderful uh, range of uh, ages. So uh, myself, of course, uh, I do remember uh, Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers, and uh, I grew up with uh, a lot of them. And uh, the the thing that, uh, of course, I I had to mention to to Matty G, uh, since he's a a little bit of a different generation than I am, uh, when when there was some hesitation on Groucho Marx, I had to bring up the uh, well, you know, the Halloween costumes with the, the glasses and the nose and the mustache built in, <laughs> and, right? And uh, instantly he knew. <laughs> yeah, so, they call them Groucho glasses. The Groucho glasses, exactly. It, yeah, uh, fake nose and glasses, and with or without a, cigar, a rubber cigar, if you want to add that exactly to it. Did did well, it's interesting about the different generations because, of course, when I was growing up. The Marx Brothers weren't current. Uh, I mean, their films came out in the 30s and 40s, and mm-hmm. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. But yeah. uh, you found them on local television shows, mm-hmm. television channels in the early morning hours or at revival houses. And now it's strange because because of technology, you can just point and click and watch a Marx Brothers movie if you want to. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things to choose from that it isn't realistic to think that Gen X and millennials are going to seek out these old black and white films, even though they might really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So it never surprises me when someone can't place the name or just they've never seen a Marx Brothers movie or an episode of You Bet Your Life, the quiz show Groucho Head in the 50s, because yep. there's... It's the it's a double edged thing. They're they're infinitely more accessible now than when I was growing up. But there's also so much more to sample. Uh, it gets lost in the shuffle. It's true, um, and it, it's what I find the most interesting thing was uh, that how through the generations a, a tidbit has has always floated along with with Groucho Marx, and if not the the Groucho glasses or if not the the uh, films. Um, through other comedians who who drew a lot of their inspiration from Groucho? Uh, Well, many comedians have credited him with being an inspiration to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, you know, he was a broke ground in a lot of ways, like uh, turning to the audience and saying something in a movie. That was very uh, groundbreaking in the 20s that he would just stop and turn to the camera and talk to the audience. Um, now we take it for granted, and there's whole TV shows where you regularly see one of the characters talking to us. Yes. But at the time, and, and the producers at the time were, were wary of it because they said, you can't just talk to the people in the audience because yep. you're on, you know, they said the, you know, the same thing with their first film, The Coconuts, in 1929. Um, the, the producers insisted that the orchestra had to be in the film when the love song is sung, because otherwise people are going to wonder where the music's coming from. Oh, boy. And the writers said, that's ridiculous. The, the, the boy says, there's something I have to tell you. And the woman says, what's that? And then you hear the music and he sings it. And they said, no, we can't do that because people are going to. And they had to dress up the orchestra in costumes and 
and have them in the shot so that you wouldn't have to wonder because people just, you know, it was the early days of sound film and they just uh, weren't sure how it was going to go over. So you had, but yes, Groucho was a big influence uh, for many generations. And um, uh, like so the legacy. Credit. <laughs> What'd you say? I feel like they didn't give their, their viewers credit. <laughs> It's like they were saying, no, people are too stupid. They they can't figure this out. Yeah. Also, Groucho, with his grease paint mustache. Yes. They said, well, that's fine for the stage, but you can't wear a grease paint mustache in a movie because people won't accept, won't accept it. And, of course, he just sort of overruled them and wore a grease paint mustache and was wildly successful in the 30s and 40s and with his did. fake mustache till he grew a real one in the fifties for his TV show, mm-hmm. but they just didn't know, you know, they yep. just, it's like when you hear about the, the, the great train robbery, silent film in 1903, that ends with the cowboy aiming the pistol at the camera and firing. And there really were people who ducked <laughs> because they'd never <laughs> seen anything like that. And it was a, a, an instinct or a reflex then. So wow. that's amazing. But that was one of the things I appreciated about getting to know Groucho was in addition to the fact that he was this guy that I saw in duck soup and horse feathers in a night at the opera and all that. He was a man from 1890 whose firsthand memories went from before the Wright brothers flight to after the moon landing. He was this living link to such a huge chunk of history Plus, he he personally knew so many people that just seemed like they didn't exist in color and three dimensions, like George Gershwin and W.C. Fields and uh, James Thurber and uh, Dorothy Parker and all these people that, uh, you know, he knew them as friends of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and they knew him. They were lucky enough to have known him. So it was just an extraordinary thing for me also because I don't know if you've had the experience of meeting someone when you're younger and then older you think, I wish I'd been able to appreciate who they were, but I just wasn't quite sure, and and it's frustrating. In my case, I was just an obsessive Marx Brothers and Groucho fan, as were all of my friends in high school because the Marx Brothers were experiencing – kind of a renaissance of popularity because they were so anti-establishment and thumbed their noses at authority that that's something that really appealed to the baby boomers and the, uh, you know, the protesters and the don't trust anyone over 30 crowd. So it was, uh, you know, a remarkable thing to actually meet this guy and I was able to fully drink in the experience because I knew so much about him before our paths ever crossed. Yeah. I, I, I do have to ask you, uh, considering you were, were such a fan, how did you land this, this gig of working for Groucho? <clears throat> there was a Marx Brothers movie made in 1930 for Paramount called Animal Crackers in which Groucho played Captain Spaulding. That's also where he did the joke. One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
parts of one of those quoted Groucho-isms. Yep. Uh, and when the Paramount films were sold to Universal in the 50s, um, Animal Crackers had fallen through the cracks on copyright renewal. So they didn't have the right to re-release it without clearing the rights with the writers and composers of the original Broadway version of it. And they didn't see any point in spending any money on that because they were they were much more focused on uh, classics like Airport 75, for instance, uh, and didn't see any. But all of my friends were fanatics and thought, how can you not think it's worth bringing out this lost Marx Brothers film? So I started a committee and a petition drive at UCLA where I was a student. It was the, the committee to re-release Animal Crackers. And I got in touch with Aaron Fleming, the Canadian actress who had started out as Groucho's secretary and had become his manager and really was in control of his life in those last years. <clears throat> and she brought Groucho to UCLA and we were surrounded by news cameras and reporters and scruffy students. I said, Groucho, I'm very happy to be meeting you after all this time. And he said, well, you should be. <laughs> and uh, she said, this is Steve. He's trying to get Animal Crackers re-released. And Groucho said, did you get it? And I said, not yet, but I'm working on it. And he said, you better or I'll fire you. <laughs> and I said, I didn't even realize I was working for you. How much are you paying me? And he said, a little less than nothing. <laughs> so it, we talked to the reporters, and my heart was just beating out of my chest with excitement that I'm chatting with the man I never thought I'd meet in person. And Universal relented and brought out Animal Crackers, and it actually broke the record at the UA Westwood Theater near UCLA, which had been set by the French Connection some years earlier. It was very gratifying how well it did. Wow. And happily, a couple of summer jobs fell through that summer. So I called Aaron Fleming and said, is there anything at all you think that I might be able? And she said, well, we need someone to handle the fan mail and organize all of Groucho's memorabilia. And I thought, I don't believe this. <laughs> and I figured I'd be working in some office building and he'd come in twice a month to sign checks or something. And she said, oh, no, dear, you'll have your own room uh, where you can use as an office and you can make your own hours. And I thought, they're paying me money to do this? <laughs> and so I got to work in his house and rub shoulders with, um, Bob Hope and Mae West and Steve Allen and Jack Lemmon and um, so and, and his the, the two brothers who were still alive who were the straight men on stage and in the early films Zeppo and Gummo they lived in Palm Springs so I got to meet three of the five Marx brothers although they weren't the most famous three mm -hmm. and it was just a, a remarkable thing to go through. As I say, I was 19 when I got the job. Um, and then, you know, the, the bittersweet part was getting close to my hero as he's fading out because he was in his mid 80s mm -hmm. and had had health problems and was sort of slowly fading out. And then also Aaron Fleming was an extremely volatile 
mercurial personality with genuine mental health problems. So it was hard staying on her good side, but somehow I managed to be the longest surviving employee. And it was just a a maturing experience that changed my life. That's amazing. Wow. Now, when you, you, so a few other things that uh, I had mentioned earlier is uh, your, uh, your writing history. Now, you did some writing for the TV series Sliders with uh, Jerry O'Connell and uh, John Rice davies I did. I did two episodes of that. Which was really amazing. It's actually one of those series that I was quite disappointed that it, that it finished before they officially got home. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was... Uh... Well, it's always, it's always a dicey proposition. You get to the end of a season and you don't want to wrap up the whole story but then if it isn't renewed you're left hanging yes unless they end up doing like a tv movie where they they solve some of those things but i guess there wasn't sufficient interest as far as the honchos were concerned in in spending any more money on but there's always fans when anytime you cancel a show there's always fans who say you can't do this? It's my favorite show, and they send petitions, kind of like I did with Animal Crackers, except mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. Sometimes another network will pick it up, and I think Sliders slid around a few networks before it finally wrapped up. But yeah, that's one of the things that happens. Is I mean, I guess on Lost in Space, didn't they remain lost in space? It's true. Yep. <laughs> and then the funny yeah, thing is they even did... the, the Robinson family is still out there with the robot and, That's right. and Dr. Smith. And uh, they had even done um, that follow-up movie with Gary Oldman. And uh, and then they were still in Lost in Space. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and then now they're, there's the new series uh, where they're lost in space. So uh, maybe, maybe the that's the thing. The series is pretty good, too. Yeah, it is really good. Um, maybe the, the, the whole point of a title like lost in space means you just don't get home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or otherwise or... it's found, lost and found in space. Right. And then it's a period <laughs> at the end. Of the yeah. Made it home. Make... <laughs> yeah. We now make a show called You'll we'll never rem- guess now we'll that. reminisce. About... <laughs> huh? I was saying we should make a show called you'll never guess how this ends. And then just. That would we be can great. Go as many seasons yeah. as we want. That's right. So even it's when you feel like it's a show, we don't owe you an explanation. Yeah, <laughs> you know what would be a good screw job on that one is if you, it ends the way it began. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very Twilight Zoney. Yes. you know, it's like the here we go again, or you, it was all a dream, or something like that. <laughs> exactly, hundred percent. Now, um, one of the other thing I want to ask you, of course, is uh, you have done a few um, children's classics. Uh, and you were you did some voice work, and uh, one of them. Of I course... did voice work for some of the chart for some of the Peanuts Charlie Brown yeah. animated specials, um, and which was a great experience working with Bill Melendez because he was the guy. I mean, he he started the whole thing with with the Charlie Brown Christmas in 1965. Yeah. So I was being directed by the guy that started the whole thing, and also who was the voice of Snoopy. <laughs> and um, actually, there's one one cartoon called uh, "We're in the Super Bowl, Charlie Brown." Yes, and I co-wrote it, um, and I think I have the distinction of being the only person that ever ended up 
sharing writing credit with Charles Schultz. Oh, wow. Because he had uh, submitted kind of a, a, a thin, sketchy script, and they recorded it and animated it and looked at it and said, this is confusing and needs clarifying. So I was pulled in to write a bunch of narration, sports announcer with these uh, two flocks of Woodstock-type birds on different teams yep. having games and all this stuff. And I, so I wrote, and I also was the voice of the sports announcer. So that was very cool. And also got uh, a friend of mine uh, got my copy of Snoopy versus the Red Baron signed by Charles Schultz, and he drew a little Snoopy inside. Oh, wow. So that was uh. Prize, yeah. One of the things I find super funny about that is that uh, you have the the characters that outside of the children, there there generally isn't any voice. It, it's generally just like that trombone trumpet sound that's constantly right. played. So um, to to do a, an announcer, or uh, I believe uh, you also did the um, the episode with uh, Snoopy's uh, family reunion. And uh, so, to, yeah, and to, I was the farmer that uh, at the Daisy Hill Puppy Farm, mm -hmm. where Snoopy was originally adopted from, and then also for Bill Melendez Productions in connection with Lorne Michaels, they did uh, Frosty Returns, yes. the sequel to Frosty the Snowman, mm -hmm. and that was a great experience. Well, first of all, as I was working on it, I was thinking. I hope this becomes a perennial that they staple to uh, Frosty the Snowman. So it's an hour-long Frosty thing that they trot out every Christmas, and then I get a residual for it. And they've yep. done that. Every year they show first one and then the other, and then some months later I get a check for hundreds of dollars, which is really cool. That is really But amazing. also I'm working cool. on that. I got to work with John Goodman and Andrea Martin mm -hmm. and uh, Brian Doyle Murray and uh, Jan Hooks. And um, it was just a great experience. And <clears throat> the, the little girl who was the star of it, mm -hmm. uh, I'd never heard of her because she was just a little girl. But... Uh, she grew up to be Elizabeth Moss. Oh, really? Oh. Huh. From, uh, what do you, uh, 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 The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And Mad Men and other stuff. At the, but at the time, she was just like this really talented seven-year-old girl. Wow. Um but for I'm me, just trying it was to think, a, 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 uh, Invisible Man, right? She just did Invisible Man. Is that? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the new one. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she's become quite an actress, but she was just a little girl little cast girl. as the little girl that befriends Frosty, Frosty. who was uh, John Goodman in that one. Yeah. So yeah, it was really cool to hang out with those guys. That's amazing, and it, it's a it's a like a, a childhood classic now, like it plays every year. And so to, to, to think about how many times it has played since it was originally court recorded and to know that you still get a residual out of that is, is pretty cool. Yeah. That was like the late eighties. Yep. So it's wow. Uh, right. 40 years and still kicking. 
Yeah. Yep. It's, and you get mail, what they call mailbox money. That's yeah. what's cool about residuals is the only work you have to do is going to the mailbox and <laughs> taking out what's in it. And picking it up. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that and you have to deposit the check. That's right. Otherwise, it's fairly effortless. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice to know that it still comes in, and, and especially after all this time. And, uh, you know, I even have uh, yeah. my kids watch that show every year. So it's, it's really It was enjoyable. exactly what I hoped would happen. It was the mm-hmm. sequel to Frosty. And I thought maybe every year when they show Rudolph and they show Charlie Brown Christmas, and they show Frosty, it'll be the 8.30 to 9, second half hour after Frosty the Snowman, which, yep. you know, dates back to like 66 or something. Yeah. And lo and behold, that's what they've and done. CBS has done that. Wow. That's anyway. Good one to be in. Yeah. So let's jump into our, our second half of our show where we have our rapid fire questions. 1939. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, I'm so, sorry. So for our uh, listeners who are just turning in for the first time, uh, rapid fire questions where Matty G will ask Steve 20 quick questions and he just gives us the first thing that comes to his mind. Yeah. And we okay. say rapid fire, but take as long as you need. Yep. There, there's no pressure. <laughs> there's no stopwatch happening. Rapid fire questions. All right, here we go. Question one. Yes. What made-up uh-huh. word would you register into the English language? And fucking. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I I came up with that. I said we are truly, we are we are in a spot now where we are truly in fucking by what is going on. <laughs> now I'm assuming I can't say that because oh, of you course can. your no, you show can. is the freaking me. awesome. Uh, podcast, and if it were the fucking awesome podcast, I, I would be offended. My delicate sensibilities, but since it's freaking anyway, and fucking is the word that I would come up with. That is the best is, word yet. Yeah, that is so far my favorite answer of all well, time. We are rated as explicit, so uh, you you are totally clear on this one. That's amazing. Oh, yep. All right. What, question two: What is the scariest dream that you can remember? Oh, God, I used to have a recurring dream when I was a kid, and it, it, was, so, it was so frustrating because it was rigged. At our, our house in St. Louis, where I was born and grew up partially, um, uh, we had a staircase, and in the dream, I would be at the top of the staircase, and a witch would appear, and she would tell me, if you can get to the bottom of the stairs without tripping and falling, I won't give you a nightmare. And I would hold on to the banister and walk down the steps as carefully and slowly as I could, but it didn't matter because it was rigged and invariably she would cause me to trip and fall down the stairs and then I would have a nightmare. What, what does it bitch? mean, Doctor? Doctor, <laughs> tell me what it is meaning here. Why is there a recurring dream with a witch and a falling? <clears throat> uh, wow. Now look at these ink blots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, the punchline to that is me. You're the one with the dirty picture. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question three: What superpower would you pick if you could? Uh, I think reading minds would be nice Mm -hmm. cool it would probably make for interesting reading now and again for sure there's a wonderful twilight zone about that and it's the 
the shows the up and the downside of having that power. Yep. I was going to say that one could be a double-edged sword. That's true. But so can most of them. Oh, what sure. is you what is your earliest childhood memory? I remember let me see. The the uh my room my childhood room wasn't carpeted. It had linoleum. I don't know if that word even registers with I, anyone, but it, it was No, I know what linoleum is. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh linoleum uh it wasn't wood and it wasn't carpet. It was just squares of kind of rubbery yeah, it's like a that's... plasticky. Yeah, I know what you're talking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, and it, it's like comes in rolls of material. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember this sensation before I could get out of the crib and walk. I remember being able to move my crib across the room by scooting against the rail of it, holding onto the wooden bars. And so my my parents would find me across the room asleep in the morning to their to their <laughs> bewilderment because I wasn't old enough to have climbed out and dragged it. Yep. Also, and I don't remember this, but I was told this, I never learned how to crawl forwards. I would see where I wanted to go, and then I would turn around and back into it, and then I learned how to walk. And I'm sure that explains a lot about my personality now. But I do remember <laughs> the sensation of scooting the inertia, scooting across the floor. That's cool. Fantastic. That's pretty early. <laughs> yeah, that's very yeah, that's really early. I couldn't early. have been more than 17 then. <laughs> uh, question five, what makes you the happiest? What makes me the happiest? Well, it Mail doesn't money? get much better. Huh? <laughs> Mailbox money. <laughs> Mailbox money is good. <laughs> but in terms of uh, uh, contentment, uh, I don't know, having my cat Oscar curl up in my lap while I'm on the couch watching TV and hearing him purr, that's a pretty serene gratifying place to be that's a good one yeah agreed yeah that's a really good one um what foreign language would you most like to learn not english um so over i suppose german because i think it would be interesting to have that i still retain an alarming amount of my high school french uh, I, I mean, including like the subjunctive <laughs> form of verbs, it doesn't get much chance to get used, especially in California, where there's such a large Hispanic population. But I retained a lot of high school French, which did come in handy when I finally went to France in the early 80s. But I'll I guess to come a up companion visit us language. then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I retain <laughs> I retain the trauma of not being allowed to go to the bathroom because I couldn't ask for it in French. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it was it was horrible. I, I well now you bring up another memory which isn't about French, but I remember in fifth grade, Mr. Bradley's class, he said, Does anyone want to go to the lavatory? And I had never heard that word before. And I thought he was saying laboratory, and I thought there was some place 
at Collier Street Elementary School where you could go in and men in white coats were pouring liquids from one test tube to another. <laughs> and I, so I, I impatiently raised my hand and went with the other kids and was so disappointed that it was a bathroom. <laughs> sure, wait, wait a minute. I know how these test tube works. <laughs> these are not the liquids I was expecting. <laughs> I also had a life-changing moment in Mr. Bradley's class. Every Monday, he would give us our spelling list, and then Thursday would be the practice test, and Friday, the final test. So Monday, he was giving us our words, and he said, the next word is nat, K-N-A-T. And I raised my hand. I said, excuse me, Mr. Bradley, but nat is G-N-A-T. And he looked down from what seemed like 100 feet up and said, <laughs> I think I'm in a better position to know how to spell these words than you are, Steve. And I said, I'll bet you a dot. Now, this is in front of 35 fifth graders. I'll bet you a dollar I'm right. And he's on the spot. He said, I... I can't, I can't bet you a dollar. I said, how about a penny? He said, all right, a penny. And he went and got the dictionary and lo and behold, I was right. And he gave me a penny and probably took a long pull on a bottle of Cuddy Sark that night. <laughs> that this 10 year old kid, but you know, like in a wonderful life, just think if I hadn't been in class that day, all those kids would have mislearned how to spell gnat. So that's my contribution to society and and uh, popular culture. I would imagine he'd pull a, a, a swig of Cuddy's Shark to realize that he sucks as a teacher. <laughs> He's yeah. wasted his life. Well, uh, a kid beat me out of a penny because I gave him the wrong spelling. Why wake up tomorrow? Exactly. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Uh, oh, that's good. great. Uh, Thanks. What <laughs> Question seven. Um, what has been your favorite decade to live in? Oh, that's tough because there have been good and bad things in all of them. Um, man, I can't. There isn't a, a decade that just comes to mind. You know, in retrospect, they look rosier. But then, as you see in a lot of what if TV shows, you go back and find out that it wasn't that great, that bullies beat you up and they didn't have central air conditioning and blah, blah, blah. Um, yep. It's Night so Rider all sure. over again. <laughs> okay. That's a yeah. fair answer. Yep. Fair answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have a go to joke? And if so, what is it? Why are turds tapered? Why? So your ass doesn't slam shut. <laughs> that That's was the true. first. You know, the thing is, the truth is, I don't have a go to joke. People assume because I've written comedy and because humor is such a large part of my life that I tell a lot of jokes. But I don't because I find jokes per se contrived. The whole idea that, you know, well, there's a boy named uh, um, Billy P. on the wall. And it's like you stop there and say, no, there isn't, and there never will be. <laughs> so I just try to say clever things in the course of conversations rather than, so a nun and a midget and a dead 
mule are in a truck. No, they aren't. They never will be. <laughs> but that one, that other one was kind of brief and the worst uh, porn ever. amusing. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> it, it is genuinely funny. You yes. know, people who say, well, you know, uh, scatological humor, just the shock value and all that. And it's like, no, that one is actually clever. So I don't mind yeah. telling it. It's totally good. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> That's <was> great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what, what was the first movie that ever made you cry? I think the three lives of Thomasina, uh, was a Disney film with Karen Dotrice, who was the little girl and Mary Poppins and Patrick McGowan, who ended up being in the prisoner and other stuff, mm-hmm. because at the time my childhood cat had run away and I was super sensitive to anything about cats. And so this whole movie is all about this cat that ends up going from one household to another. And uh, it really bummed me out, understandably. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. Uh, question 10. Do you believe in aliens? In aliens? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, Canadians would Oh, you mean from outer space. (laughs) Here's my thinking. Here's my thinking on aliens. I think it is the height of arrogance to think that we are the only life in the universe. I mean, the odds of that seem infinitesimal. I think it's so ridiculous for people to think we're it. And there's just nothing but noxious gases and barren rock and all that. That said, I do not believe we have ever been visited by them. I don't believe people have been taken up in spaceships and anally probed <laughs> or otherwise probed. I don't. Uh, I I think flying saucers are uh, the result of any number of mistaken either mistaking something for a flying saucer or an unbalanced person saying, that's why I know that's what it was. I saw it and went across the sky and it did three loop the loops and then it hovered over me and I felt warm. And um, <laughs> so, yes, I believe in them. No, I don't think they are among us. I, no, I think you know what, that's kind of how where I stand as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't, uh, I couldn't have said that the, the first part better myself. I truly believe that uh you know we, we it would be way too arrogant to think that we are the only yeah. uh, sentient life in, in this galaxy uh the second part though i'm still a little undecided i had this really weird thing uh when i was uh, in college um i went to bed i felt fine i woke up the next day and uh i could barely walk your asshole like, hurt yeah, <laughs> no 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 i could i could i could barely um walk and and there was this like pain through my my left leg um, I went up to uh, my parents' house because my uh, my dad was a uh, uh, like a trauma doctor in the the military, and um, I showed him where the pain was, and and he took a scalpel and cut in, and he pulled out a length of very odd metal that was in my heel. There was no entry wound. There just suddenly yeah. was a piece of metal in my heel. Is that a true story? It's a true story. Wow. It was really weird. I was totally. But what fine kind of it. metal was it, and what did it come from? Well, that's I don't know. There, there was I couldn't think of any way it could have happened, um, and like I said, there was no wound. 
Um, there but, was, then, but then it, it becomes equally ludicrous to say, and because I could not explain it, therefore it must have been put in by intelligent life that visited me in my sleep and inserted it subcutaneously and painlessly such that it was... Well, it, and, and that's it, where it, I was going to go with the like, fact I that I always be... joked about the fact, well, then it, it must have been aliens because I can't think of any other way. Right. Um, so I always made that joke, but, uh, you know, I... I um, you know, uh, my mother and I, of course, watches a lot of uh, alien stuff, and I kind of watch, and it's quite interesting. Um, I, I just, I don't think that the, the, the results are in. I don't know 100%. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to say no. that, no, there's a 100% chance that they're not, or that, that No, that we're agnostic about it. Yeah. We cannot declare it to be false, yeah. nor do we embrace it as, oh, yeah, you know, they're all around. They, they're getting together, and they're going to take us over. Yeah. The tree falls in the woods, right? You don't, yeah, it's hard to say. Well, and so I think I think I heard this one, and I don't know if this is true, but uh, I forget where I heard it too. But apparently, there's like a a star for every grain of sand on the entire planet, just in our galaxy alone. So imagine, you know what I mean? Like, and, and each star has the potential that it can house life. Like that's crazy to me. Like, not only I believe that there's life, I I think there's tons and tons of it out there outside of us. Yeah. It's just too far away. Yeah. I, I I don't see how there couldn't be. Yeah. I'm also I'm not a, a a believer in God. Again, I'm agnostic, leaning towards the atheistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that like God put us here to rule over the animals and rule over the land and, and, and a pretty shitty job we're doing of that. Um, <laughs> but the idea that he's only you know he would only be the God for Earth yeah. and. Uh, uh, he didn't bother putting life anywhere else, and it's blasphemous to think that there's a... No, I think it's kind of silly to think that in the whole universe there isn't life elsewhere, but I, I'm I'm undecided and skeptical about whether they've zoomed down here and observed us. So. That's true. I think it'd be kind of either funny or boring. It's hard to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. You never if know. people are switching to another podcast, then there's your answer. <laughs> right? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Walk right into that. <laughs> All right, Matt, what's the next one? Question 11. How would you spend $100 million? We're only on 11? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to think that I would be generous enough to put large amounts of it to use in charitable ways rather than selfish ways. I've never had the ambition of being fabulously wealthy so much as just wanting freedom from worry about bills and rent and that sort of thing. So I think if I had a uh, a really nice house and surroundings and lived comfortably I would also indulge my interest in um, – I've collected all sorts of things since I was a kid, fossils and Greek and Roman artifacts and uh, autographs and different things. So I would – a lot of the things that I see get getting auctioned off, I would think, wow, I could get that T-Rex skull and <laughs> – 
for myself. I was going to say Steve's buying so a dinosaur. Would... Huh? I, I was going to say Steve's <laughs> buying a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. So I would like buy that. But yeah, I would indulge my my Park. hobbies. What'd you say? So you can be like the dude from Jurassic Park, start resurrecting stuff in amber. and. <laughs> I have insects in amber, actually. Really? I, I do, yes. You've already got the, the starting He's already the starting. starting point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> if only I could use my brilliance for good instead of evil. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Well, just remember, uh, your friends here at the Freaking Awesome Podcast, these uh, studio costs don't uh, you know, don't pay for themselves. So uh, we'd always use a generous uh, benefactor. So <laughs> yeah, I'll certainly wow. add I'd you to invest the in Boober. <laughs> yep, or invest in Boober and send uh, <laughs> and send Matt lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome <laughs> all right <laughs> question 12 uh what exotic what exotic animal would you domesticate uh, i wouldn't because i think it's unfair to the exotic animals i'm i i'm always thinking of them before the humans i can hear a news story about people that were killed in a plane crash or murdered by serial killers and all that and i would think boy that's a shame or that shouldn't have happened or that's a that's a tough break but if i hear about some cruelty to an an animal uh it that keeps me up at night and i think that uh i can't imagine wanting to take something that thrives in the wild and make it bend to my desire to have it as a pet fair enough yeah Fair enough. Sorry. No, that's no, good. no, that's, that's cool. That is we a had, genuine answer. The, it's great. None of them answer before, yep. so it's that's awesome. Um, what what's your what's your biggest pet peeve? What gets on your nerves? Oh dear. I'll domesticate my pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stickler for grammar and punctuation. I have often thought of walking around with a black Sharpie in one pocket and a bottle of whiteout in the other to add and subtract apostrophes where they are abused on signs that I walk past. Um, I, I love language. And so when I start to see it coming apart at the seams and people say, well, what's the difference in there and there, or your and your, or it's and it's, you know what I mean. There's a part of me that's sort of like a school teacher that thinks it's the end of the world as we know it if you don't care about the difference in articulating, getting your points across clearly. So that punctuation abuse uh, gets me more upset than a lot of things. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Sure. Um. What's the last thing that you did just for yourself? I had lunch. All right. like it. Yep. What holiday would you erase from the calendar if you could? Uh, let's see. What do we have here? Let's go through February, Valentine's Day, Arbor Day. <laughs> Christmas, Easter, Passover, Jewish holidays. All of them? <laughs> yeah. No, no. I'm what? I'm just sort of spinning my Rolodex of. I, I I don't know that there's any holidays that 
I tend to enjoy them for the most part. Um, oh, New Year's Eve. I think That's a fair. bunch of people getting drunk and loud simply because the year is coming to an end is silly and pointless. You know what? That's so a great one. So I would one. just go that, that from a... December 30th into New Year's Day and skip New Year's Eve. You know, it's really nice. funny. I, I, I've, I've never really thought too much about that, but it's true. Now, as I've gotten older, I just enjoy generally New Year's Eve at home with my loved ones. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, we don't do anything special. In fact, we don't even generally stay up till midnight anymore. Um, every once in a while we do, but it's 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 true there it's just, is it just another day to party uh maybe yeah i have a i have a friend and i do have a friend i have a friend who's a, a writer producer and every year he has a gathering that peaks at nine o'clock because that because that's midnight in new york where a lot of us lived at some point or other and then uh he'll put on videos of the Johnny Carson Tonight Show of New Year's Eve past, where they have the countdown in Times Square, and now it's 1974, and we watch that, and then we have a glass of champagne, and then we go home at like 9.30. That's amazing. uh, Because we just don't see the point in staying up past midnight L.A. time. It's like, oh, it's tomorrow in New York. That's good (laughs) enough for us. So we watch... What we ring in the new year from another era, and then that's it. I think this is what I'm that 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 is amazing. That I, from now on, I think we're going to do a different era uh, New Year's Eve party because let me tell you, the new ones nowadays they suck. They, there's no real entertainment value to it. The, the guests they have, or that the I, I'm just sorely disappointed. So you know what? I think that's a great idea. I think I'm going to start finding old recordings of past New Year's Eve. Times Square celebrations and run those. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yep. Um, what do you do when you can't fall asleep? Ooh, I try to relax because, of course, making yourself fall asleep only heightens the anxiety. Mm-hmm. But it's often that the things that bother you during the day are amplified at night and things that were just sort of, yeah, it's annoying become louder and bigger. Um, but I, I don't like get up and read or get up and watch TV. I just generally twist and turn and keep reminding myself to, uh, try to, you know, meditate or focus and, uh, and allow myself to fall asleep rather than make myself fall asleep. Right on. Right on. That's good. Um, what activity makes you totally lose track of time? Boy, I don't think I lose track of time. I think if I'm out walking, if I'm watching a movie, if I'm reading, if I'm zooming around the information superhighway, I'm rarely surprised to look up at the clock and realize that four hours have gone by or something like that. So I don't think I lose sight of it. The same way that I generally don't lose things. Uh, there have been very few things that I've had that I would say, I used to have that, but I lost it. I could say I threw it away, I gave it away, I sold it, I still have it. Very few things I've lost, including time. 
100 percent right. agree i never lose anything my wife moves it and i can't find it <laughs> yeah. said every guy ever yep. no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking by that <laughs> all right um oh, my favorite question what's the best thing you've ever eaten best thing i've ever eaten yeah yeah it does it seems like if i come out with an answer it's elevating it to best ever and uh it just seems like there's so many contenders i'll tell you uh, a, a former girlfriend and I went to Hawaii once, and we took uh, the the long, winding Hana Highway, ending up at the seven sacred pools, of which there are not seven, and none are sacred, but it's known <laughs> as the seven sacred pool. And it, I was absolutely exhausted. Um, she hadn't told me. The first thing we did was drive up to the top of the Haleakala volcano, and then we did the Hana Highway, and then the Seven Sacred Pools. And I was exhausted, and it ended up pouring rain in my little, in our little rented car. And it was only later that she told me, "You're not supposed to do those all the same day. You're supposed to do those in three different days." But I didn't want to tell you that because I wanted to do all of this. <laughs> so while we are sitting in the car at the Seven Sacred Pools, having done this. Ex- exhaustive and exhausting tour of of Maui um, we finally opened up the sandwiches that we had gotten from the vending machine at the, <laughs> at the hotel and I was so famished I can't even tell you what flavor it was but at the time it was the most soothing delicious thing I'd ever eaten because I was so exhausted and frustrated and famished vending machine sandwich right Very on cool. i don't so think I guess, anybody I guess will ever say the best say thing that. you've ever eaten is completely yeah. subjective yeah yep it's true yeah yeah very cool maybe we should change um, this question to uh like robert wall had said what what is your 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 favorite like if you had one last meal on this earth what would it be maybe that would be a better question well then it, i i have a grim fascination with executed prisoners last meals um for, sometimes there's a contradiction it'll be like two chicken fried steak grits mashed potatoes and gravy apple pie a la mode and diet coke there'll be something like that um i also can't help but think that if i were about to be killed I wouldn't have much of an appetite. I can't imagine enjoying or feeling much like eating anything. And I was reading about there was a British serial killer in the 1800s in Victorian England named H.H. H. Holmes. And I read that before he was hanged, his last meal was boiled eggs, toast and coffee. And I thought, now there's a civilized last meal. And I, <laughs> yep. I have a friend of mine, and we often email back and forth about last meals that we, you know, someone's executed, and uh, and we'll see what their last meal was, and then we'll say, you know, God, that how could they have that on top of that? And did, aren't they thinking that that's bad for your cholesterol? And da 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 da. <laughs> and so I send him the thing about H. H. Holmes having had boiled eggs, coffee, and toast, and I said, gone are the days when that's any prisoner's last meal now it's always uh fried chicken chicken fried steaks french fries mashed potatoes 
grits, yep. two milkshakes. It's just like they check everything on the menu, figuring, fuck them. <laughs> let, them let them spend too much on me. Even if I don't even touch it, I made them make all this for me. Anyway, there's my rant about last meal. I, I have decided now that if that ever, ever happened to me in my life, I'm going to ask for four bags of popcorn seeds. I'm going to fill myself full of those things so that when they light me up, my God, are they going to have something crazy to clean up? <laughs> That's very room. interesting. That's a, I like that. Popcorn, unpopped kernels. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't regret that funny. one. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, There's shooting going on in the execution chamber. No, no, it's Jiffy Pop. Yep. <laughs> Tony Pop. Uh, have you, question 19. Have you ever had a crush on a fictional character? And if so, who? Fictional. Okay, so it could be a movie and it's not really the star. Yes. Yeah, it could could be, yeah, just any character. Uh, I could just say yes. Yeah, that, that works. Uh, yep. I, I, what comes to mind is uh, Mary and something about Mary. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cameron Diaz, but it wasn't a crush on Cameron Diaz. It was her character, character. which unfortunately, when I saw her talking on talk shows, I realized what a good actor she was because <laughs> she's kind of a ditz, yeah. uh, apparently, but she was charming and attractive in that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. No, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, and the very last question here, this one's a doozy. Um, what's the favorite podcast you've been on in the last 12 hours? Could it be the freaking awesome podcast with the two of you? It could be. Yeah, that's excellent. Could be. Yep. Could be. Well, thank you for not saying of all time because I would have had a different answer. But... Yeah. Well, we can't win them all. <laughs> no. Yeah. But I'm a big, I mean, uh, I love doing Gilbert Gottfried's podcast and oh, yeah. hadn't laughed so hard. I've, uh, I've heard I he did those a few so times and they're just great fun. Yeah. You're able to be a little kid again. Yeah. So. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, I would allow Gilbert Gottfried to yell at me for an hour. It would be fantastic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, did I pass? You did a wonderful job and uh, we really appreciate you taking some time with us today. Do you have any, uh, any things that you'd like to plug or any social media that you'd like? Oh, to Oh, well, I should probably, assuming anyone remembers that, Several hours ago, I said that I had worked for Groucho Marx. I wrote a book called Raised Eyebrows, My Years Inside Groucho's House. That's all about my experiences uh, during those three years back in the 70s. And it's available in uh, paperback and as Kindle. And I did all the voices of the audio book. That's on Amazon, and if anyone for some reason wants a signed or inscribed copy, they can order it from my website, which is Steve Stolier, S T O L I A R dot com. And uh, actually, Raised Eyebrows has been optioned and was being developed as a movie before the big coronavirus lockdown, but uh -huh. we have a script and uh, 
it's not a biography of Groucho. It's about this kid and his hero and this ambitious woman. And uh, it's going to be very strange to see someone playing me at 20 with mutton chops and <laughs> a mustache and my 70s regalia. But that's kind of an exciting thing well, uh, that hopefully we will pick up where we left off once this thing passes. Well, we'll be sure to uh, to post up that uh, early photo that you sent us of uh, you and Groucho Marx so that people can envision that for oh, okay, uh, the future sure. movie. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, well, you'll Thanks. have to uh, reconnect with us if uh, that continues to go through, and uh, we'd love to have you back oh, on the show. Oh, happy to. Yeah. Well, this was fairly painless. Excellent. Well, we try to keep it fun for uh, for our guests and hopefully our <laughs> listeners as well. I hope they found my meanderings of interest. <laughs> I'm sure they did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we did. That's that's half the battle oh that's a start 100 percent. yep <laughs> <laughs> excellent well thank you very again for taking some uh time out of your day steve and uh we again would hope to have you back on the show at some point okay let me know when it's listenable will do <laughs> thank okay. you steve. have a wonderful Bye. day take care so this is a good time for us to pitch our social media you could get us on our website thefap.ca on uh twitter is the fat four you can get us on instagram is the Fab Podcast. Don't forget our Facebook. The Freaking Awesome Podcast. And uh, you can always reach out via email. The Fab Podcast at gmail.com. I'm on the air. We on the air. We got this podcast. Ah, uh, oh, not again. Wicked sweet. <laughs>